Amen. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20. I'm, this is going to be part two of the message that Pastor Jamerson preached on the first Sunday of this year. Uh, the Lord has really stirred my heart. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1 uh, through verse 4. We're going to read from the New International Version. This is what it says. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Meunites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Here's the verse. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. I'm going to read that verse one more time. Listen, listen, hear this. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. Verse 4, the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Let's pray. Father, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would put a resolve in our hearts to seek the Lord. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Whenever God is getting ready to do anything, that thing that God is getting ready to do in its infancy that's when the enemy attacks. He always attacks a thing in its infancy. When the Philistines heard that David had been crowned king over all Israel, they came up against him in full force. When? The moment his reign was established, they attacked in full force. What happened when Moses was born? Pharaoh kills the firstborn of Israel entire generation. In its, in its infancy, the deliverer is born. Kill the deliverer before he can grow up and deliver. Yeah. When Jesus was born, what happened? Kill the Savior before he can grow up and save. And whenever God is getting ready to do something in your life, that is the moment that the enemy attacks. Which means that at the very moment that you experience the resistance of the enemy, the attack of the enemy, the destructive power of the enemy, that should be an indication to you that God's getting ready to show up. Because the enemy plans his attacks. He ain't got no time to come against people that the Lord doesn't have anything planned for. And secondly, it would be a waste of time for him to attack you when God's not getting ready to do something for you. When he attacks you, he's trying to distract you so that you cannot see what God is getting ready to do on your behalf. Jehoshaphat is king of Israel in this passage of scripture. And he gets a word. Someone comes to him and makes him aware of an attack, an impending attack of the enemy that he cannot see. The problem for most of us is that we can't see what the enemy's getting ready to do. 
And so God puts people in our lives who can see attacks that we can't see. And we tend to be passive in our spiritual lives when we are unable to see the attack that the enemy is mounting against us. And sometimes the most important word that you get is there's an attack coming that you can't see. And so somebody comes and whispers in the king's ear and says, King, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but there's a vast army that's coming against you. The Meunites, the Jebusites, the Whatchamacallitites, it don't matter which ites, but there's a bunch of ites that are coming against you, and they're almost here. They're already at En Gedi. They're close at hand. And what we don't realize, some of us don't realize that an attack of the enemy has been mounted against this house and against you, that's already at En Gedi. You see, I was saying all of last year, you just wait till we move into that new building. The wave is upon us. The wave is upon us. You just wait and watch the people that God sends. They're going to come from the north, from the south, from the east, and from the west. They're going to fill the house. And sure enough, we came into the building on December 12th, and the wave hit us, and people were coming in. I'll never forget December 12th. It was glorious. It was a glorious mess. It was beautiful chaos. We packed out the sanctuary. We packed out the overflow room. We packed out every children's room, every youth room. It was all full. It was Everything was full to capacity, and the Spirit of God was moving on hearts. I saw newcomers and first-time visitors, and the Spirit of God was moving on their hearts and tears and eyes, and God was moving, and I was like, this is it. This is it. This is it. God is doing it. And then Omarion came dancing through our sanctuary. And we can look at this situation in the natural, or we could look at it in the spiritual. If we look at it in the natural, we will simply say things like, we shouldn't have had that choir concert. And you know what? You're probably right. We we probably shouldn't have had a choir. I don't know what I was thinking, honestly. Tell everybody, pack on the platform, take off your masks, and just start singing. A bunch of droplets coming out of your mouth. We just, inv- just invite Omarion. Just call him up. Omarion, come on through. But if you look at it in the spirit, there's something deeper going on. Yeah, 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 yeah. That there was an impending move of God that we've been anticipating and seeing that God's getting ready to do something. And just at the moment God starts to do it, bam, there's an attack of the enemy. And all of a sudden we're all shut down with fear. And all of a sudden the, the wave seems to break early. Before we saw the mass of salvations that we anticipated, when we, when we begin to look at it at a higher level, we understand that this is not simply something that's happening in the natural. This is what happened when Moses was born and Pharaoh wanted to destroy the momentum of what God wanted to do through him. This is when David was crowned king and the enemy wanted to destroy the momentum of God was what God wanted to do through him. The enemy wants to destroy the momentum of what God wants to do in this place. And I want you to know the enemy has more planned for you. He's got bigger attacks planned. And he's got an attack mounted against you that is already at En Gedi. And so when this person came and whispered in Jehoshaphat's ear, the scripture said first, he was alarmed. Look at verse 3 again. 
alarmed. Jehoshaphat was alarmed. What does it mean to be alarmed? The first thing that comes to our mind is that to be alarmed means to be afraid, and that's not the same thing. You can be alarmed without being afraid. If you have to leave the house at 7 a.m., you'll probably set an alarm for 6 a.m. And when that alarm goes off at 6 a.m., you are alarmed. Not necessarily afraid. When your alarm goes off, it simply means that you have a limited time to respond. That's what an alarm is. An alarm is something that tells you to wake up, to come to attention, because you have a limited time to respond to something. And if you don't respond within this limited time, there's going to be ramifications and repercussions. You have a limited time to respond. Do you know what the word alarm means? It means to the arms. To the arms. An alarm, in, in the original usage of the term, when an enemy was coming to attack, they would sound the alarm, and what it meant was, everybody go get your weapons to the arms. Go grab your arms, grab your weapons, grab your spears, grab your swords, grab, put on your weapons and get ready to fight to the arms, to the arms, to the arms. It means an alarm is a call to do something, to prepare yourself, to defend yourself. But the scripture says that when Jehoshaphat was alarmed, when he realized that there was a limited time to prepare to defend himself against this attack of the enemy, he resolved. He didn't react He resolved. Put verse 3 up there on the screen. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved. We tend to react rather than resolve. When we react to things, we go into overdrive. We panic. We start working harder. We start doing more. When we are alarmed, our typical response is, I need to figure out exactly what I need to do to stop this from happening. I need to discover what, I, what do I need to do. Jehoshaph- Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. Somebody says, the enemy's going to be here in 45 minutes. Jehoshaphat's inclination, his natural inclination should have been, Everybody get your weapons, grab your swords, grab your spears, get into your battle stations, be prepared to defend yourself. But something in his spirit said, no, we're not going to respond to this in the natural. We're going to respond to this in the spiritual. We're not going to react to this by trying to figure out what we can do by our own power. We are going to turn to God's power. In other words, Jehoshaphat transformed to the arms, to to the knees. Instead of crying out to the arms, Jehoshaphat said no, to the knees. This is a call to prayer, not to anxiety. This is a call to prayer, not to fear. This is a call to prayer, not to wear yourselves out. This is a call to prayer, not to figure out what you need to do. This is a time to figure out what God is going to do. This is a time for us to come back to the knees. To the knees. 
Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. Now, to inquire means to ask a question. What is you going to do, God? He transformed what, what is we going to do to what is you going to do. He made his problem God's problem. God, you see you got a problem here. What you going to do? I'm not getting up off my knees till I figure out, till I hear you tell me what you are going to do about your problem. We're your people, Lord, so you need to tell us what you are going to do. The essence of prayer is making your problem God's problem and expecting him to solve it. That's what prayer is all about, is assuming if it's my problem, it's God's problem. That's what it means that he's my father. That's what it means that he's my daddy. It means that I don't have any personal problems. It's me and your problem, but it's primarily your problem, not mine. If my daughter has no clothes to wear, she comes to me and says, what you going to do? If my daughter has no food to eat, she comes to me and says, what you going to do? If my daughter has no way to get to school, she comes to me and says, what are you going to do? That's what it means to be a child. It means that you depend upon your parents to make a way. It means you're willing to cooperate and obey what they tell you to do. But it's not your job to make a way for yourself. It's daddy's job. It's mommy's job. Your job is to inquire. And most of us never actually inquire of the Lord because we don't have any confidence that he's going to give us any direction. We are still in full possession. One of the signs that you are still in full possession of your life is that you are in full possession of your problems. Because if you cannot surrender your problems to God and believe him to be the one to carry you through it and to guide you through it and to make a way out of no way and to open doors you can't see, if you can't trust him with your problems, you don't trust him. You haven't trusted him with anything. Jehoshaphat resolved, which means he made a solid decision to inquire of the Lord. He made a solid decision to make this God's problem and ask him, before we take a step, you tell us what to do. Put verse 3 back up there. And he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. You know what a fast is? It's a decision that we're not moving until God answers our inquiry. Because see, anybody could ask him a question. But it's one thing to ask him a question, and it's another thing to stay before him until he gives you an answer. Because most of us, we call ourselves asking God, but we ask him, and then we make our own decision, and we go do it. But as long as I pause to ask God, I feel better about myself. Because, you know, I, I asked him. He didn't give me any input, so I just went ahead with what I thought. Jehoshaphat was alarmed. He knew he had a limited time. And so he determined, here's what we're going to do with that limited time. We're going to ask God, and we're going to keep on asking God, and we're going to keep on asking God until he answers us. Can you imagine what that's like? Have you ever been there? Can you imagine that you got a three-day eviction notice on your door? You could spend that three days calling everybody you know, trying to figure out how to borrow the money to get out of this situation, or you can get on your knees and ask God, what is we going to do? 
Your child's about to be evicted in three days, God. What, what are we going to do? What are you going to do? What do you want me to do? What's your direction? Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. He sent out the word, we're in trouble, but our God is bigger than our trouble. So come to Jerusalem and let's pray. It was a call to prayer. Everybody come. It's time to pray to the knees, to the knees. And in calling Israel to prayer, Jehoshaphat was calling the people of Israel back to their primary identity. Calling them back to where it all started. That Israel became a nation at Mount Sinai where they gathered before the Lord. You brought us out of Egypt, now we're here. Started from the bottom, now we're here. But now that we're here, what's next? What do you want us to do? Where do you want us to go? How do you want us to live? And God speaks to them from the mountain and says, I am Yahweh Eloheinu, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt on eagle's wings. Now here's what I want you to do. Have no other gods before me. Don't bow down to them, don't worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Honor your father and your mother. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery. Like, God gives them clear direction. We don't realize, we think the Ten Commandments is about morality. It's not. It's about divine direction. It's about God saying, here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to live. If you trust me, you'll live this way. And then they followed the cloud. That's all they did, was they followed the cloud. And when the cloud stopped, they stopped. They inquired of the Lord and they followed the cloud. If we took those two things seriously... There'd be no trouble that would ever befall us, that would ever stop us. We would go from glory to glory. Why? Because we're inquiring of the Lord and following the cloud. That is our strategy. I think about Joshua. God is in the infancy of his ministry. When Joshua first becomes the leader of Israel, God speaks to him. And what does he say? This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You're going to meditate on it day and night. You're going to teach it to your children. And then you're going to be successful in all that you do. Do you see the recipe for success God gave Joshua? Meditate on my word day and night. What I want you, here's what I want you. You want to be successful? Meditate on my word day and night. Yet I've never seen a believer say, you know what I think? I think I wasn't very successful because I didn't meditate on scripture enough. Wow. We think it's because we didn't get enough education. We don't take divine direction seriously enough. Most of us just don't believe that God's going to direct us. We think we need to apply human reason and human wisdom to every area of our lives and then just add a little faith in God on the side. We think that faith in God is the little sprinkling on top. It's not. It's the Sunday. Today's our 18-year anniversary as a congregation. And I was thinking back over the last 18 years, and I always go back to the infancy. I'll never forget one of the, the men who was a member of our church and a leader in our church in the beginning. He came to me as he and his wife were transitioning out, and the Lord was moving them on. He said, you know, the Lord gave me a word for you. I said, okay. He said, the Lord says that if you keep listening to your sermons that you've preached in the first years, you'll never stray. You'll never go wrong. But if you move on from that, if you forget what God spoke to you in these early years... You're going to miss it. 
You know what God spoke to me in the early years? The only thing I require of you is that you pray. That's all. Lord, what do you want me to do? I want you to pray. That's all I want you to do. Just want you to pray. When we first started this church, we did two things. We did a Sunday morning service. We did a Friday night prayer meeting. The Friday night prayer meeting was more powerful than the Sunday morning service. And the Sunday morning service was more powerful because of the Friday night prayer meeting. Once a month, we had all night prayer on Friday nights. If you were an early member of our church, you came to church on Sunday, you came to prayer on Friday, one Friday a month, we stayed all night long. We didn't have any facility. We rented a, a, a meeting room in a hotel so we can have an all-night prayer meeting. Amen. And everybody came in there and got their sleeping bags out, and we would kneel on our sleeping bags, and we would pray. We'd have all-night prayer meetings sometimes in our apartment. We had a little tiny apartment, and we would pack that apartment out. We did early morning prayer meetings at 5.30 a.m. 6.30, like we're going to start tomorrow morning, is nothing. We did 5.30. Yeah. We did it seven mornings a week. And it started out as a 40-day prayer meeting. It went on for two and a half years. Yeah. Saturday mornings, we would gather at 5.30. Sometimes we'd pray till noon or later because yeah. the Spirit of God was just moving. Yeah. What we discovered is that if we just devoted ourselves to prayer, that became the resource for everything. That became the foundation for everything. That became a foundation of divine direction. When the economic crisis hit in 2008, over and over again, we'd come to the end of our rope financially. I'll never forget the first time it happened. Early in 2008, I get a call from the bookkeeper. Pastor, do you want to pay the staff or do you want to pay the rent on the building? Because we can't pay both. Oh, Lord, how much do we need? We need $7,500. When do we need it? By tomorrow morning. Oh, Lord, what am I going to do? Are we going to lose the building? Or am I going to tell the staff member, sorry, but you can't pay your rent this month? I can't, I can't, not, neither option is a good option. So what do we do? We called a prayer meeting. Come to our house. We called our elders and our trustees and our leaders. Come to our house tonight at 9 o'clock. And they gathered in our house at 9 p.m. And we prayed and we cried out to God. And we were, this, we weren't having one of those prayer meetings. Oh, Lord, Lord of the wind and of the waves and God of the Father's able. No, no, no. We need $7,500, Lord, by tomorrow morning. So send us $7,500. Sometimes the most powerful prayer is the most Clearly directed prayer. When you're not just BSing, you're telling God exactly what you need and exactly where you are. And you're focusing all of your attention on, Lord, I'm inquiring of you. I need an answer in this space right now. And by the end of that prayer meeting, the Lord spoke and said, it's done. And he spoke through the prophet Sonny Robinson. She said, the Lord said it's done. And inside, I'm thinking, I don't think it's done because I don't see no $7,500. But that's the thing. Just as you can't see the enemy coming against you, you also can't see the Lord responding on your behalf. You see, the enemy attacks in the invisible, but God responds in the invisible as well. And when the enemy comes in, like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall raise up a standard against you. What we see in this passage of scripture is that there is always a divine response to an, a demonic attack. Whenever the enemy comes against, God is always standing for. Look what happens here in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 as Jehoshaphat stands up and he prays this powerful prayer. And basically what he says to God is, Lord, we're your people. This is your problem. So Lord, will you not judge them? Lord, don't you remember, we had an opportunity when we were coming through the wilderness. We had not, you wouldn't let us attack them. You would, now they're coming against us because you wouldn't let us attack them. 
So now, God, you got to do something here because we don't have any power. We can't do anything on our own, but our eyes are on you. Verse 14, look at verse 14. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, blah, blah, blah. Verse 15, he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Verse 16, now there's direction. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeriel. Verse 17, you will not have to fight this battle. Look at your neighbor and say, you will not have to fight this battle. You will not have to fight this battle unless you refuse to pray. If you resolve to inquire of the Lord, you don't have to fight the battle. God fights the battle. But if you skip the prayer, yeah, you're going to have to fight the battle. And what we tend to do is skip the prayer meeting, and then in the middle of the battle, we're calling on God for help. Lord, help me fight this battle, and God's got, you got no business fighting that battle. I never asked you to fight the battle. And then we're mad at God because we got our butts whooped in the battle that we weren't supposed to be fighting. But since you resolved to inquire of the Lord and you fasted and you separated yourself from everything that would distract you and you said, God, we're here till we get an answer from you. Now the word of the Lord comes. God says, you're not going to have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord or see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Translation, you don't see it, but God's already moved. You don't see it, but God has already arisen on your behalf. You don't see it, but God has already provided. So watch this. A lot of us, we believe the first word, but we don't believe the second word. What has happened here with Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah is they've gotten two words from two sources about what's happening in the invisible. They could see neither, but they believed both. The first word, there's an army coming against you, and they're almost here. Jehoshaphat believed it, and he was alarmed. Second word, God has already worked it out. He couldn't see it, but he believed it. I think most of us would believe it if somebody told us the enemy's mad, he's about to come against you. I believe that. But then if somebody turned around and says, God's already worked it out. Well, I don't see it. It don't look like he's worked it out. We believe every report of demonic attack, but we don't believe any report of divine deliverance. We have more faith in the devil's power to attack us than in God's power to deliver us. Unless you were at the prayer meeting. You know why Jehoshaphat could believe the second word? Because he was at the prayer meeting. You know why Judah and Jerusalem was able to believe the second word? Because they were at the prayer meeting. 
You see, when you come to the prayer meeting and you seek the face of God, when you turn your heart to God, when you come back to the knees, when you, re re when you respond to the cry, to the knees, when you come back to the knees and begin to seek the face of God, what happens is faith is born in your heart. Faith comes alive in your heart. And all of a sudden, you have the capacity to believe God again. My wife spoke and said, the Lord said it's done, now just worship. And we worshiped, but the whole time I was worshiping, I was praying, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Yes. <laughs> Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And the next morning, I got a call from the last person I would have expected a call like this from. And so I was too busy praying and seeking God, and I hit decline. Oh, Lord, send that. We need, it. We need that money. I got up early, and I was in my office. I got, ah, we need that 7500 right now, and I got a call. Decline. I got to seek God's face, and I'm seeking God's face, and the person called again. Decline. I said, I, I, the devil, I rebuke this spirit of distraction. God, I'm seeking your face. The person called a third time. I finally answered the call. I said, listen, I don't have time to talk right now. She said, well, pastor, you better make a minute to talk. I said, I've got to seek the face of God right now. Now, she says, I got a check that I need to give you right now before I spend it. I said, you got a check for how much? She said, $7,500. I said, meet me at the bank. We deposited that check right into the Living Hope account. I called the bookkeeper and said, the money is there. Pay the rent, pay the staff. And it was done. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. That wasn't the last time we needed a hunk of money at the last minute. That wasn't the last time we needed a last minute miracle. That wasn't the last time we needed direction from God. But we discovered the strategy. Each time, each time there was distress each time we were alarmed, here was the cry, to the knees, to the knees, to the knees, to the knees, not to the arms, to the knees, not to the arms, to the knees, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. The strategy is seek God's face, seek God's face, seek God's face to the knees. And by God, we're going to become a praying church again. So help me, God, we are coming back to the knees. We're coming back to our roots. We're coming back to what God made us, to what God called us to be. God is speaking to us by his spirit and saying there's an attack against you that you don't see. And we tend to remain passive until we feel it. Well, pastor, I don't know what you're talking about. That's fine. You don't have to know. You just have to hear that God is saying by his spirit, there's an attack that you can't see. What if Jehoshaphat had called Israel to the knees, but nobody believed him? What if Israel didn't believe that there was an actual real attack? 
What if they said the king is crazy? Let the king be the one who prays. Go ahead. Pray all you want, king. Get your staff to pray. But Israel responded. The people of Judah responded. The people of Judah said, we're fasting. Okay, I'm fasting. We're praying. Okay, I'm praying. And by the way, the king didn't have time to say, now get yourselves ready because in two weeks we're going to start a fast. You know, I know you probably got some lunches and, and meals. No, no, no. We're fasting right now. Like, when did, right now. We're starting this fast right now. How long we fasted? Till God speaks. How long we praying? Till the victory is won. Till God responds. Till God answers. Till God does something. To the knees. The people of Israel responded and they came to their knees. That in and of itself is a sign of divine deliverance. That in and of itself is a sign of divine deliverance. And when you study the history of revival, what you discover is that whenever a body of believers responds to the divine invitation to pray and to seek the face of God, that is a sign that revival is right at the door. Let's see how this ends because I'm over time already. Verse 20, early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem, have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. What did they do? They went and took their positions. Verse 22, as they began to sing and praise. The Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. And when you read further, you discover that those ambushes, they fought each other. God sent a confusion in the camp of the enemy, and they fought each other, and they attacked one another. And Israel, they stood in their positions, they praised and worshiped, and they watched the enemy defeat itself. (laughs) The story I grew up, uh, the church I grew up in, Beautiful facility. And one of the older people in the church said, do you know how the Lord gave us this property, this facility? I said, no, how? They said, there was such strong opposition against us in this community. And especially on the city council, there was a group of individuals on the city council that were dead set against us acquiring this property. And the city council was set to vote. And if we lost that vote, we would not get the property. And we knew that out of the nine city council members, five of them were against us. So we were going to lose five to four. The night before the vote, we had a prayer meeting at the church. And they said they cried out to God and they prayed and they cried out to God and they prayed. And at the end of the prayer meeting, a prophet stood up and spoke. And God said, you're going to win the vote and I'm going to confuse the enemy. And they began to worship and rejoice. The next day at the vote... They were asking the council members, yay or nay? Yay means the church gets the property. Nay means the church doesn't get the property. And so the four that they expected to be on their side said yay. And then the five that they expected to be against them all said nay. 
So then the recorder said, okay, I'm going to read out these votes. And the hearts of the people sank. We thought God was going to confuse the enemy. But the recorder said, I'm going to read out these votes again. He read out the first four, yay. This person, yay. This person, yay. And then he got to the fifth one, the first of the nays, first of the five nays. And this person was the biggest adversary. He's the one who riled up the other four against the church. And he says, you said nay. He goes, no, I said yay. And the recorder says, no, you clearly said nay. He goes, no, I said yay. You change it to a yay. And the recorder says, no, 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 you said nay. He says, no, I demand that you change my vote to a yay. And so the recorder says, okay, I'm changing it in the record here to a yay. And then he went through the others. They all said nay. And then the recorder says, so the yays have it. The church gets the property. And then the guy jumps, no, wait, I meant nay. But it was too late. Isn't that crazy? The Lord is able to confuse the enemy and turn the enemy against himself. <laughs> On our 18-year anniversary, the day we commemorate God sending us, bringing to pass what he had dreamed of for us all these years ago. God is calling us back to prayer. What we've been discovering is our pre-service prayer meetings, our shifts, Sunday shift that happens at 10.15 every morning, it's getting more and more powerful every Sunday. This morning was so powerful, it was supposed to end at 10.30, it went till 10.43. We know we've got to go out and greet some people, but the presence of God was just too real. You know why? Because God is calling us as a body to the knees, to the knees, to the knees. And the importance of this moment for us as a body, the importance of us responding to this call of the Spirit of God and coming back to our knees is bigger than you think. It's more important than you think. It's not only more important than you think, but it's more powerful than you can imagine. There's a hunger for prayer in our body as well. Yeah. A growing hunger. Yeah. But now is the time. Yeah. Now is the time for us to restore yeah. what God had put, in us, put in us from our very birth. Yeah. It's time to pray. Amen. And so tomorrow morning at 6.30, I'll see you on YouTube. And let me tell you why. What the enemy is trying to distract and destroy right now is not your finances, not your family, but the intention of God that a great multitude of souls would come to faith in Jesus Christ in this place. He attacks your family to distract you from reaching for souls. He attacks your finances to distract you from reaching for souls. He attacks your body to distract you from reaching for souls. And his goal is that you would, you would spend all of your time trying to fix your family, your finances, and your, and your health. And then nobody, nobody is reached for Jesus. We're going to fast coming into this campaign at the end of February. 
we hired a guy to come coach us through this process and I shared with him, took him out to dinner, my wife and I, and I shared with him, here's my vision for it. Here's what I just believe God's going to do. The next morning I picked him up from the hotel and he said, Benjamin, I've been dreaming all night long of what God is going to do at your church through this campaign. I've been dreaming of your members going into their workplaces and starting small groups there and seeing people come to Christ in their workplaces. I've been dreaming about your members of your church reaching their family members and friends and people in their neighborhood. I've been dreaming, Benjamin, there's going to be so many people coming to Christ through this process. This guy's never stepped foot in our church, but he could hear the vision. He could see this is what God's going to do. But to prepare ourselves to be a part, to present ourselves before the Lord and say, Lord, use me, use my life. Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me. And may I ever do my part to lead that soul to thee. We got to come to the knees and prepare ourselves, prepare our hearts. And you know what? If we come to the knees and seek the face of God, he's going to destroy the attack against your finances. He's going to destroy the attack against your family. He's going to destroy the attack against your physical health. He's going to do it. I believe that. He's going to remove every obstacle from your path that would prevent you from participating in this great work of his and this great dream of his. I'm believing God for 100 new community groups.